Hey there, folks. Welcome to, of course, Griff Talks Football with your host, Griff, here. Uh, hopefully, y'all's week has uh, gone well, despite uh, the circumstances that are uh, surrounding us today. Uh, but nevertheless, I hope you're all doing well. And in today's episode uh, is, of course, running backs. Um, just FYI, I'm still working on uh, the one of the, at least the first pass protection video that will be out uh, this uh, Wednesday. Uh, this upcoming Monday will be, uh, I believe, we're going to be on episode 4 of season 2. And episode 4 is going to be um, about what coverage is easier to attack against. Or is there no such thing as a easier coverage? Um, each coverage has strengths and each coverage has weaknesses. Uh, you can have a, for example, a split safety coverage, which you know consists of a, 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 a two corners really, or a corner and a safety. Uh, if it's a two by two, or if they're in a, uh, if they're on a side where there's only two receivers, to where if the slot receiver, the inside receiver runs the out route, the outside corner takes that. While the uh, safety or the corner that would be over the slot will go in and cover the outside receiver. However, you know while that may ruin the quick game in terms of trying to throw out routes, um, you could, as an offensive coordinator, run a double move, an out and up instead, and they'll kind of ruin the uh, split safety coverage. So again, there's pros and cons with any coverage and any type of coverage and any defensive system or any rules in these coverages that are being called. Again, those are pro- there, there are pros and cons to, to any uh, coverage. So looking forward to doing that episode on Monday. Uh, you can check it out again on this podcast um, for Wednesday's episode again, which will be the pass protection that will be on my YouTube channel, Griff Talks Football. So you can go ahead and check that out. Um, I'm doing that through YouTube channel cause it'd be kind of difficult to try to, to, to try to, uh, break down pass protections without illustrating, you know, the defensive fronts that would be presented and so forth. So again, stay tuned for that episode on my YouTube channel. But again, today's episode is about running backs, and I want to dive in into the top 10 running backs in terms of rushing yards, not carries, because each each carries varies and it impacts the yards per carry average. You know, you can have a running back get over 300 carries for the season and just have like 1,000 yards, while you have a running back that gets like 250 carries and has like 1,300 yards, right? It it it. I'm not going by carries in terms of leaders. I'm going by rushing yards in terms of leaders. So, again, these are the top 10 running backs that led in rushing yards. Starting with that number one, Derrick Henry. He had 1,540 yards rushing as well as 16 astonishing rushing touchdowns and helped lead the Titans to an AFC championship game. Number two, Nick Chubb had 1,494 rushing yards as well as eight rushing touchdowns and led the Browns. Oh, unfortunately, the Browns went six and ten that year. Ezekiel Elliott, number three, had 1,357 yards rushing as well as 12 rushing touchdowns, and the Cowboys went eight and eight. 
Number four, Christian McCaffrey, 1,387 rushing yards, as well as 15 rushing touchdowns. And not to mention, he also had over 100 receptions and 1,000 yards receiving. And even with all that effort, over 2,000 yards scrimmage-wise, the Panthers went 5-11. Chris Carson, from the Seahawks. 1,230 yards rushing as well as seven rushing touchdowns. The Seahawks went to the divisional round and lost to the Packers. Number six, Leonard Fournette. 1,152 yards rushing and three rushing touchdowns. The Jags went six and ten. Number seven, Josh Jacobs. 1,150 yards rushing as well as seven rushing touchdowns. Raiders went seven and nine. Joe Mixon. 1,137 yards rushing, as well as five rushing touchdowns. The Bengals have the first overall pick. Jeez, man, all that effort. First overall pick. Dalvin Cook, number nine. 1,135 yards rushing, 13 rushing touchdowns. Vikings lost in the divisional round to the San Francisco 49ers. And then last but not least, Marlon Mack, 1,091 yards rushing as well as eight rushing touchdowns. Colts went 7-9. All right. Can you all remember which running backs I said that made it to the playoffs? Derrick Henry, Chris Carson, and Dalvin Cook. Now, again, you can find some commonalities Maybe your first commonality may be, well, they went to the playoffs, of course, but they're also on good teams, which is true. But get this, though. They also had QBs that did well this year. Out of the three running backs that had um, made the playoffs, they had three QBs who were alongside with them that had arguably successful season. Uh, we'll start with Ryan Tannehill. 70, procession, uh, 70 completion percentage as well as 2,742 yards passing-wise and 22 passing touchdowns to just six interceptions. Russell Wilson, 66 completion percentage, as well as 4,110 yards passing, uh, as well as, or passing yards, as well as 31 passing touchdowns to just five interceptions. And last but not least, Kirk Cousins, 69 completion percentage, as well as 3,603 yards passing, 26 passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions. So, I didn't even mention the other QBs that were with these other running backs that had terrible records or didn't make the playoffs. Like, Dak Prescott had nearly 5,000 yards passing, but yet the Cowboys went 8-8. Eight and eight. Because they also went 1-7 against playoff teams. He had monster stats against losing teams. Or when he was facing against these playoff teams. He amassed a lot of stats in the fourth quarter. Trying to catch up when they were down by so much. It was an inconsistent offensive identity for them. But they still went 8-8. Eight eight because they couldn't beat the playoff teams. They couldn't beat the good teams. Nick Chubb, despite having an astonishing year. Baker Mayfield was second in in the league for throwing interceptions with 23. You had Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, who was in and out in some of the games, but when he was there, they still had him. Um, Kareem Hunt was the backup running back. I mean, yes, the offensive line 
didn't necessarily perform so well. They had problems at that both tackle positions, especially when it came to edge rushers, especially the scheme-wise is being called and the plays were established and no offensive identity. I mean, you name it. I I was I did five episodes specifically about the Cleveland Browns. I did I talked about the Cleveland Browns both in season two, episode one of practice, and season two, episode two of uh, the importance of an offensive play script and offensive identity. You can check those episodes out on this podcast. Um, Christian McCaffrey, despite all his efforts, even a good defense throughout in the middle from the beginning to at least until there's five games left in the season, the defense is good. But a huge predicator as to why the Panthers didn't make the playoffs was his inconsistent play from quarterback. I mean, down the stretch with Kyle Allen, five games, I think he turned over the ball like 13 times. He was inefficient. Leonard Fournette, I mean, he had quarterback problems, but more specifically, the team was just trash overall. And the fact that he had an offense coordinator that was more pass-heavy. Yes, Leonard Fournette had over 1,000 yards rushing, but a big back like him to only have three rushing touchdowns is very interesting. Josh Jacobs. I mean, the Raiders were not good overall. They're, they were 7-9 and nine this year. I mean, their their identity is running the ball. And Derek Carr is not a bad QB, don't get me wrong, but their defense is absolute ass. And you can only do so much trying to control the clock and run the ball so well and to be able to score points only to then give up huge plays defensively. And then offensive drive has been negated by the fact that even though you extended the lead, teams catch up right back. I mean, I did an episode a couple months ago uh, on my series one take where I talked about uh, the play that for whatever reason the Raiders got beat on or at least couldn't stop for three straight weeks. I mean, there were some variations, but it was the same route concepts, just different formations against two of the games was cover two man and one game was cover one man and they still couldn't stop the play. Why? Because each touchdown that the play was called, it was a flag route run by the running back, and he got wide open because their linebackers are absolute ass and slow. Their linebackers get easily beaten man coverage. So any any time the Raiders ran man coverage, everyone would pick on their linebackers. Even then, their corners would occasionally get beat by double moves. So again, that team was not good. Uh, I mean, I just mentioned Joe Mixon, but that team was absolute ass. And then it wasn't great quarterback play by the Colts. Uh, with Jacoby Brissett, I think he started all 16 games, but he was inefficient down the stretch. Um, so what I'm saying here is, as a running back, with all the performance that you've done, you can only do so much to carry your team. If you don't have an efficient and effective quarterback, your states your your stats are negated. All that hard work and effort that you put in, all those huge fantasy numbers don't matter if you have a trash quarterback. And if your defense is somewhat great, maybe all that effort may lead to a playoff appearance, maybe a playoff win, depending on the team that you're facing against. But again, you can only do so much until you face a team that has not only a better quarterback, a better overall offense, and a better overall defense, and eventually you'll just get shut down. Because teams just bracket around you in terms of coverage. They focus on you specifically as a running back. And if your quarterback can't do anything to elevate his or her play and can't elevate the team, then again, all your effort is just is, is now washed down the drain. 
I mean, think about it. Titans were 2-4 and four earlier in the year, and they still had the same run scheme. It's not like anything changed other than Ryan Tannehill making the most out of those play actions. But then again, with him making the most of his opportunity in those play action passes and him just making some huge third down conversions and, and some comeback game-winning drives to even help the Titans get to the playoffs. I mean, they ended up extending the contract to him and and franchise tagging Derrick Henry. I mean, look, I'm going to mention the running backs that either got paid or got traded in free agency. So here were the moves. I mean, again, I just mentioned Derrick Henry got franchise tag. They gave the long-term contract, four-year, $118 million to Ryan Tannehill. Melvin Gordon signed with the Broncos in a two-year deal, and yet they got Philip Lindsay. Austin Eckler signed with the Chargers on a four-year, $24 million deal. He's by far the best receiving back. Um, David Johnson got traded to Houston, right? Houston traded DeAndre Hopkins in a fourth-round pick to the Cardinals in exchange for a second-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and David Johnson. But, you know, everyone shitted on Houston for trading DeAndre Hopkins, which I get, I understand. Um, But at the same time... They had two running backs. One was coming off an ACL injury, and the other was coming off his first 1,000-yard season. And instead of paying them or retaining them, they're getting David Johnson with two years left on his contract. They're trying to allocate all the funds they have for a left tackle, and which is Laramie Tunzel, one of the best in the game, at 26 years old, 25-26, as well as Deshaun Watson, who... He's got two years left on his rookie deal. And he's going to get paid massively. Um, Todd Gurley signed with the Falcons after getting cut by the Rams. And the Rams went 9-7. and seven, But they didn't make the playoffs. And their offense was inconsistent. Because when you're a, a team that predicates on running the ball and your star running back has been out for several games or is inconsistent or doesn't play well, and the offensive line can't do it; can't make all the blocks in the world. Um, you're really focused on trying to pass the ball, and at that point, even though the Rams have good receivers, you're basically trying to change your offense identity a little bit throughout the year. And again, if your offense is based on hugely off of play action passes, um, and your old line isn't that good to either establish the run or even pass protect, your offense is going to get stalled at times. So, I running backs are now becoming, are no longer becoming a premium. They're no longer as valued. Like, again, these positions I'm about to name, I can guarantee and have evidence that they're more valuable than a running back position is nowadays. I mean, again, quarterbacks. Do quarterbacks have a strong arm? Are they accurate? Are they mobile at least? Can they recognize defensive looks at the line of scrimmage and get the playoff? Can they handle the pressure? Can they elevate their team? Right? Everyone, I think, hands down would say the quarterbacks are more valuable than running backs. All right? Pass protecting tackles. Not just left tackle, but right tackle as well. I mean, I can't name a quarterback currently in NFL that's left-handed, but I definitely do think Tua is going to get drafted in the first round, and he's a left-handed quarterback coming up, coming from Alabama. Um 
And so they're going to have, they're going to make sure a right tackle is by far any team that drafts. Tua is going to make sure that the right tackle is the best pass protecting tackle, not only on the team, but maybe in the game, but especially on the team that can help Tua in any passing situation or at least stay consistent in their pass protection. All right. Number three, I would mention the tight ends. Yes. Tight ends. Are valuable if they if they're athletic, if they're really good route runners, especially catching, not just you know catching at five yards or catching at ten, uh, but contested catches, um, and also all around blocking, both pass protection and run blocking. I mean Travis Kelsey, he's one of the best pass catching tight ends and route running tight ends in the NFL. He is not an effective run blocker. He's just another type of wide receiver that's a huge mismatch. I think the best overall tight end in the game is either George Kittle or Austin Hooper. I would argue. They're both excellent route runners, much like Travis Kelsey, but they're excellent run blockers as well. Cornerbacks or defensive backs who have the ability to slow down or lock down or star receiver. Safeties who have the ability to cover the field and lock down a tight end or slow down a tight end, especially if cover one or zero safety blitz is called and one of them is covering a tight end. Edge rushers who can, which sounds self-explanatory, but who can not only win the edge and beat the tackles involved, but get to the to the quarterback in, in passing down situations. Mike Linebackers. Basically, the quarterback of the, the offense, or at least quarterback of the defense, uh, making calls the line of scrimmage, trying to get the defense in the best play possible to stop the offense or counteract the offense or slow them down or force turnovers, as well as tackling well and be able to cover ground. They're not always going to get man-to-man on linebacker or man-to-man on running back. Sometimes they'll be in the middle zone when Tampa 2 is called. Sometimes they'll have to play shallow or at least stay at 5 yards and play QB spy. They they have to do so many things. And Mike linebackers were in the, were in the most important positions in the NFL, especially all of football. Guards and Guard slash center, you know, be able to pass protect and help establish the run. And then defensive tackle, to be able to at least take on double teams passing situations. I'm not going to say take on double teams run situations because run plays will have double teams involved. If you're a nose, you're most likely going to have a guard and center double teaming you. If you're one technique, you're going to have a guard and center double teaming you sometimes. If you're a three technique, you're going to have a guard and center double team you sometimes. Right, so I'm not going to say take on double teams in terms of runs because there will be run plays that do require double teams, but in terms of double teams on pass protections, right? Sometimes in your pass protections, you feel so confident that your guard and center can take on one guy, but if it's a defensive tackle like Aaron Donald, who's super athletic and great on passing situations in terms of getting after quarterback, Aaron Donald is going to take on double teams a lot, sometimes triple teams. So I just name about 10 to 11 positions that are more important than a running back. And I'm not even going to say wide receiver. Much like running backs, you just need a wide receiver that's excellent at route running, can catch. And, you know, the run, if a wide receiver can at least run a 4-5, you'll be okay. If the receiver runs a 4-2, awesome. That is, that is astounding, right? I know there's different sizes, different athleticism, different wingspans. 
uh, how a receiver can attack at a high point situation. If it's a, you know, if it's a fade, can a receiver win at the vertical depth against a corner, right? I know there's different advantages that each different size of receiver and speed and the route running ability each receiver has. Um, but again, based on the offensive system that you're in, you usually need a receiver that has good hands, good route running ability because tight ends, if you have an excellent tight end, have now become the red zone focus, have now demanded double teams and coverage or brackets and coverage, if you will. Um, again, with running backs, they're no longer as valuable as they were in the early 2000s. I mean, think about it. Ladanian Thompson had, uh, I think, the most total touchdowns in a season by a skilled player, excluding a quarterback, but by a skilled player. he, I think he had 33, 34 total touchdowns back in 2006 because he was the vocal point of that offense. It was a power-running team. Um, but you no longer see that as often because of how the game has changed, become a more passing league, how uh, there's different requirements from quarterbacks, how teams have put an emphasis on quarterbacks. Um, you know, I did an episode a couple months ago talking about would you have a great roster or a great quarterback and what are the disadvantages and advantages uh, between having a great roster and having a great quarterback. Uh, again, running backs are no longer a value. Like another example, the 49ers made it to the Super Bowl this past year, and yet they had three running backs. Three. Three running backs. Um, who, had, who had over at least over 500 yards rushing. I mean, Raheem Mostert, 772 yards rushing, as well as eight rushing touchdowns. Uh, Tevin Coleman, who had 544 yards rushing and six rushing touchdowns. Matt Barreto, who had 623 yards rushing and one rushing touchdown. I mean, again, but they also had, the 49ers offensively had a great O-line, as well as George Kittle, and good quarterback play, at least from Jimmy Garoppolo. So it's gotten to the point that as long as you have a, a good or above average or even a great O-line with a good group of running backs that can have at least good speed, good ball carrying vision, can catch, and doesn't fumble as often, you'll still be an efficient and effective offense based on what your scheme is. I mean, if you're a power running football team, sure, having an all-star back helps. But, again, speaking of where the money goes, if you put most of your money in the running back and not into the O-line, and you don't have a good O-line, and that running back gets gets hurt, your offensive identity is now impacted. If you're a power-running football team, you're not becoming an efficient and effective power-running football team as you used to be, right? Um, Because you spent all that money on that running back who now got hurt. I mean, look, the Rams... They relied heavily on Todd Gurley for the past couple of years. And the moment he had a messed up knee injury uh, back last season or even early in tw- or late in 2018 when they made the playoffs and he was ineffective in the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship game, as soon as that happened, that offense kind of fell flat. And I'm guaranteeing now they're going to try to allocate as much money as they can if they're really wanting to stick their offensive identity as much money as they can on the O-line and draft a running back, stay there for or have a running back as their starter for like two to three years and then, you know, let that running back go and just draft another one, right? It, that's what has now become the norm for these running backs. And it's just, it's unfortunate. I 
am a fan of running backs, especially those who've worked their ass off and who have become really at that point, depending on the season, depending on the player, um, have sometimes become a vocal point of that offense. But again, uh, other money nowadays, especially in the league and even college as well, that's there. That's not where the emphasis is going to be anymore. The emphasis is going to be on the O-line, the quarterback, the tight ends, and some positions on defense. Receivers and running backs, and just especially running backs, are no longer becoming as valued as they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's, it's no longer become the norm. I mean, early 2000s running backs are still as valuable but as soon as you saw quarterbacks throw over 4,000 yards uh, on more occasions or more often than not you started seeing quarterbacks like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady uh, getting contracts you started seeing money go through the O-line sometimes you see money go to receiver and sometimes you see money go to the tight end but essentially tight ends now you're starting to see more contracts go to tight ends and no longer to receivers I mean Again, with that trade between Houston and the Cardinals, as soon as that trade happened, Houston, I think hours later, uh, Bill O'Brien, the manager, the general manager and head coach of the team, had signed Randall Cobb to his three-year, $27 million deal. And Randall Cobb is 30 years old. All right, and he only had 1,000-yard season back in 2014. It was his best year, best career year. I think 93 receptions, over 1,400 yards receiving, and like 14 rushing, t- uh, not rushing, uh, receiving touchdowns, I think. Um, but again, they signed him because not only did they need a position to fill, or at least they view Randall Cobb as an excellent receiver, um, but based on where the money is going to go in the future, they're going to try to make sure that they sign Larry Tunzel, the left tackle, to be Deshaun Watson's pass protecting tackle. They're going to sign Deshaun Watson to a huge contract because they want to keep him there as much as possible. They got David Johnson now, who they just need a position to fill. I mean, receivers and running backs have now become a point in time where it's just positions to fill. You're no longer going to see a receiver as often getting huge contracts. Unless you're a Julio Jones or um, another receiver that had a good year. Um you know, Tyree Kill sometimes, um, or even if you're an elite receiver and a team really values you, even with Michael Thomas as another example, sure, you'll see contracts like that. But at, at some point in time, receivers are going to be a revolving door as well as running backs. Although I know today's episode is mainly specifically about running backs, uh, next week's episode will be specifically more about receivers. I mean, it's going to be the same type of episode as, as this is, uh, but receivers have become more valuable than running backs now, but they're not as valuable as tight ends and quarterbacks and other various positions. So, I mean, that those are my thoughts on the futures of the running back. They'll still be running backs in the league uh, 20, 30 years, 40 years down the line. They'll still be running backs in the league. And just contract-wise, long-term deals are no longer going to go to running backs. I mean, hell, you might see Todd Gurley, even though he's currently 25 years old, yes, he signed a one-year deal with the Falcons, but he may sign with a different team the following year. Uh, maybe he resigns with the Falcons on a two-year deal. The Falcons are not going to give a long-term t- contract to Todd Gurley. They're not. They're not going to do that. Um, so 
That's where my thoughts are. Thank you so much for, for listening in today's episode. I'll catch y'all again on Monday uh, for Season 2, Episode 4 about coverages. Um, Wednesday on my YouTube channel, Pass Protection Breakdown. Uh, two and three jet against six defensive fronts. Um, and then Friday again, wide receivers. Um, so I'll catch y'all soon. Uh, stay safe as always and uh, kick ass, y'all.